Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Sound and Worship Podcast. As you know, we've been in the Worship Music Objection series. I've really, really enjoyed this series and uh, I've enjoyed the way that all of you have been interacting on it and listening to it and uh, sharing it. Really appreciate that. Today we're going to go over, it's going to be kind of a somewhat of a rapid fire. Um, had a lot of great kind of, I'm calling them listener objections sent in. So we're going to go over those. And basically those would be objections that you all sent in that you've heard from people. So excited to go through a few of those and kind of just give my take on it and have an excellent email today that we will go right into next. All right, so had an email from somebody, and I'm going to do my very best to just keep this anonymous uh, just because of the nature of it and out of respect. But uh, this person and I have a lot in common, I would say, but uh, been kind of having a conversation with him. And well, that narrowed it down to about 3.5 billion right there. But uh, had, a, had a conversation with him and just wanted to pass it along, kind of uh, one of the emails that he sent over. I think it's really applicable for what we're going through. And it just, you know, maybe you'll hear it and think, you know what, I've been through something like that too. So this person probably knows uh, his name starts with an M. So that's about all I'm going to give away, at least I hope. But he says, Justin, just wanted to say thank you for creating Sound and Worship. I've enjoyed listening to your podcast recently and have to admit, it's crazy how much of what I've heard from you is what I've been saying in my church for the last three or four years. See, I told you we're very similar. He goes on. Quick backstory. I've been listening to Todd Friel. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> I mean, that's really how I got started on this track too. So thank you, Todd. But yeah, he says... I've been listening to Todd Friel for a number of years now and went through that same transforming mindset you discussed. My church, located in, and it didn't get me, occasionally plays questionable artists like Hillsong and Elevation, but surprisingly, we have had a hard stance on No Bethel. Our youth pastor is a big fan of Hillsong and Elevation music, as well as the teaching of Furtick and Houston. And if you're not aware, he's referring to Stephen Furtick and Brian Houston. Furtick being from Elevation and Brian Houston being from Hillsong. They both are the leaders of those two groups. He says that his youth pastor loves the teaching of Furtick and Houston. And if I'm not mistaken, he says, although you wouldn't necessarily know it when you hear him teach, which is a good thing, and I have to agree that is a good thing, and that is basically all the music our youth group plays. It is what I heard when I was in the youth group many years ago, as we have had the same youth pastor for around 20 years. I find myself listening to Hillsong teaching when I left the youth group and went off to college because, well, I thought they were okay since we sang their music. And to all the people who say that that doesn't happen, here is a great example of it happening. He goes on. 
wasn't until I started listening to Wretched Radio that I started to recognize the issue. So anyways, I started to bring this to my elders' attention a few years ago, and finally, back in March, myself and a few other members with the same mindset were asked to discuss this topic in more detail with two of our elders. So we met, and I presented the attached write-up, and I'll just speak of that write-up. It was really, really in-depth, and that's great. I think it was over 60 pages, if I'm not mistaken, which that means somebody really, really, really put a lot of time into it. He said that much of it is articles from the G3 site and definitions from Got Questions. And I got to tell you, those are two great, great ministries that I would not hesitate for one second to recommend. Um, G3 is great. And I go to Got Questions all the time. I love Got Questions. Very Bible-based answers, very sound. So love that. He says, After meeting and coming away with what I felt like a complete agreement on this topic, the music has not changed. Mm. And I can relate to that for sure. He says, We often find ourselves asking for updates from our elders on when on when and if a change will be made, but it seems to be a very slow process. The plan is for those elders to meet with our music leader and then the youth pastor to discuss this topic. Now I know there are many reasons why this process is taking so long. Other responsibilities, jobs, families, SBC issues. And he put a wink face there. <laughs> if you're in the SBC, you know what we're talking about. And he says, etc. But I believe the main reason is that they are trying to find the best way to not upset anyone. And I tell you what, I share the same opinion. I, I really do think that that is what's going on in a lot of churches. They've, they've kind of found something that quote unquote works and they're not wanting to change it. So he says, specifically our worship leader and youth pastor. I think the best word to describe why so many solid churches are, churches are letting this type of material inside the church is pragmatism. I actually just heard one of my elders teaching on pragmatism in regards to what has been going on in the SBC recently and just found it interesting in the fact that I think we are doing the exact same thing and being pragmatic in regards to music. So true, so true. He says, so with all that said, I just wanted to share how one local church is working on this issue. I am not sure exactly how it is going to play out, but would ask that you pray for my church, our leadership, and my patience in this process. I appreciate your podcast and keep up the great work. What you are doing is truly making a difference, as it is great to hear that I am not alone in this battle, as sometimes I feel like it. Thanks. And I did not slip up and reveal this person's name. So to this anonymous person, thank you so much for that email. That was a great, great email. Um, really insightful. I'm sure that a lot of people listening can really, really relate to that. I'll just add that of all the troubles and things that we all see uh, in the worship music world, I will say that, you know, I can speak of my own church that I attend and I won't you know, put that out there where that is, just because that to me that's a little bit inappropriate. But I will say it's such a blessing to be at that church and to see uh, the kind of mindset that is put into choosing 
the music that is sung by the congregation, uh, I think our pastor does an excellent job. So it does exist, folks. Like if you're thinking that no church in this entire country cares about worship music or, um, you know, sees any issues in popular worship music, that's just not the case. And good things are happening. So don't forget that. So thank you. Thank you, uh, anonymous emailer. And next, I want to get into some listener objections. And as I was saying earlier, I don't mean that these are objections that people have sent in after listening, which I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't happened uh, a little bit. Like, you know, someone hearing one of these episodes or, or seeing some of the arguments on Facebook, I'm sure it happens somewhere, but um, I'm surprised that no one has said, you know, that's a terrible response to my objection. Here's, here's a new objection. But it, to my knowledge, I haven't seen it. So, But I just want to get into these. These would be objections that you have heard. And I'll just reveal first names kind of um, to keep people as anonymous as possible. But this first one comes from someone named Hannah. And she wrote in and said... That the one of the uh, well, she actually has three. She has three objections. So her the first one that she hears is this quote: "If you think this song's theology is bad, you must think my theology is bad too, because I like that song." End quote. Now, if someone were to say that to me, I would say, you know, you know that really has nothing to do with it. Um, you know, one, you know, you could come out and say, well. If you think that that song's theology is good, then is your theology good? Uh, that That's kind of tough. And you don't want to be more blunt or rude than you have to be. Um, but just to, I, if someone came to me and said that, I would say, you know what, this has nothing to do with your theological beliefs, but really it just comes down to truth. Is the song that you're singing true? Uh, is it someone that you would recommend others to check out? Um, is it someone that you wouldn't have to say, check out this song and this song by this artist, but don't check anything else out because it's all, you know, seeker sensitive emotionalism. It comes from a ministry that teaches the false gospel. But yes, you know, still listen to these two songs. That's, to me, that's not worth recommending. Um, you know, you could, you could find a uh, quote unquote theologically sound song. And hear me out on this. You could hear you could hear a song written by someone of a different faith if it if it was very basic and it just referred to God as God and it was saying that God is perfect. But then you come to find out that the person that wrote it is a Mormon or a Latter Day Saint. We have two completely different faiths, completely different gospel, completely different beliefs. But if you go along with the argument of, well, I just pick out the good songs, and we've had a whole podcast on this, so go back and check out one of the first few uh, in this series. Um, check them all out if you want to, if you're really kind of going through a lot of these objections or would just like to know uh, some ways to kind of respond to objections when someone says you know, something about worship music. Basically, if they're defending the right to do whatever they want with worship music. And I, we've gone over several reasons why you can't just do whatever you want. It's, 
it's kind of like the Christian faith. You can't just do whatever you want. I mean, that's why God gave us his word. So if I don't stop, I won't get through all these. But so let's go to the next one. Next one from Hannah. She says that she has heard this, quote, No one is perfect, and we all have problems in our theology and sin in our lives. If you try to only sing from sound sources, you can't sing at all. Now, if someone came to me and said that, my response would be something along these lines. I agree that no one is perfect and that we all have sin in our lives. That is 100% true. The only perfect person who has ever walked this earth is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's true. That is completely true. And the person says, if you try to only sing from sound sources, you can't sing at all. Well, now, no one is saying that we should sing from only perfect people. Like, I've made that clear on Sound of Worship, for one, on the website. But I've never heard anyone make the argument that we are only to sing from people who are perfect because then we couldn't sing from anybody. We're not saying that. It really comes down to the core tenets of the faith uh, and ministries who teach a false gospel. uh, Why support those ministries, for one? Why use anything that comes out of those ministries, no matter what it is, music, literature, whatever it is? Why would one want to use that? We're not saying perfect people, but if a song is has a has sound lyrics and is coming from a source that faithfully teaches the gospel accurately, then I don't have a problem with it. You know that it's not like it's not like this is just some crazy criteria to meet. I think a lot of people think that, and they're just like, oh, they're just meticulous about what worship music they approve of. Um, and again, I'm I would never say that I'm the arbiter of worship music. Hopefully that's completely obvious, but that's not the thing. That's not the goal of sound and worship. It's really just to get people to think about worship music. Don't just use whatever worship music that you want if it's not true and it's not coming from a source that is solid. Pretty simple, really. Um, Think about it. We're not all going to come to exactly the same conclusion. Um, We're all going to have some some differences of opinion. We need to take those to the Word of God and seek to follow Him as closely as possible. So that's what I would say to that one. And then Hannah's last one says, quote, If you hold music to a biblical standard, you have to hold everything to a biblical standard. You shouldn't support any businesses that have any ties to any sinful practice. Guess you can't even live now, unquote. And to that, I would say, if someone makes that argument, they are basically saying that church and activities in the world are exactly the same. It's kind of like church is just a thing among other things. And as a Christian, Christ's church is not just a thing among other things. It is the group Right from a Christian's point of view, it is it is the group. It is set apart. It is different. It is bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are His bride. So you can't equate the two. Um, I would use this example, and if I were to just try to 
offend somebody today, this is what I would do. Because I know it would possibly offend somebody. But I'll just say this. Every now and then, especially if I'm given a gift card, I will go over to, and here comes the word that's going to offend somebody. I will go over to, sorry, I didn't mean to sound like Joe Biden just then. (laughs) Sometimes I'll go to Starbucks. That's right. So somebody's probably offended. Why would you ever go there? They stand for such awful things. They're, you know, and that's obvious to anyone who's ever seen the news. And I would agree with you. I agree with you. I don't stand for what Starbucks stands for. Uh, But every now and then, I like a coffee from Starbucks. I think they make a good coffee. But I would never, ever equate that to what is done in church, what the body of Christ is doing. I mean, you're not going to be able to go about your life without encountering someone who's running a business and is not a, uh, you know, and is not a Christian. Like you're, any business you go to, there are going to be people there who are not Christians. You know, we're a small group, honestly, in comparison to this world. If that's not obvious in America, then I don't know what to say. But we are, we're set apart. And the the practices that we do in church, when we're singing music to the Lord, that is a serious issue. We need to be singing truth. And we need to do our best to ensure that when people learn about something in church, that they're learning from from truth, from sound sources that are teaching the truth. That really matters. But if someone goes to Kroger, and hopefully all of you, maybe you're not aware of Kroger. I don't know where you're listening from. If you're from across the world, you probably have no idea what Kroger is. It's just a grocery store. But I'm I'm 100% sure that they have a policy that contradicts the Christian faith. Like I, I, I'm 100% sure. It, if that wasn't obvious from last month, last month being June, Pride Month, every corporation is going to have something that contradicts the Christian faith. That's for sure. And I don't believe in Scripture that we're commanded to avoid every single business that is not, quote-unquote, a Christian business. Now, I love supporting Christian businesses. I love that. Uh, if you know, if I have the opportunity to go to a Christian business and support it, I I love to do that a lot more than going to any other place, right? Like if there's a Christian coffee shop in town, I'd love to go support my brothers and sisters and, and bless their business with my business. Uh, but I don't think it's wrong to go to Starbucks every now and then and get a coffee. Maybe you have a different conviction. Um, this is not an endorsement of Starbucks in any way, uh, but just using that as an example. So basically to that objection, I would object and say, these are two non-comparable things. Practices and, and actions that are taken, uh, that take place in the church are completely different than those out in the world. We are set apart. We're a different group. We have a different purpose. We're going to run into non-believers everywhere we go. I pray that the gospel goes out as we do that. So, moving on. This next person, whose name is Josh, 
has an objection that he says is common. He says, a common objection. I really connected to God through this song. How dare you not play this song that I had a spiritual experience with? Are you saying my experience was not real because the lyrics are false? And he had a response on that. And I, I agree with his response because he said, feelings are personal experiences and never a gauge for truth. And that made me think of a verse that had popped up uh, in my life recently. Uh, I probably saw it on Facebook or something or saw it in normal study or checking on, you know, checking on what God's word says about something. Um, you ever do that? Do you ever uh, see something in the world and you just Google like Bible verse about this? You know, I hope you do. It's, it's, I don't think it's a bad thing at all to do. It leads you to the word and, and that's the standard. So, but it reminded me of Jeremiah 17, 9 that says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Uh, you know, a lot of people say that they had an experience or, um, you know, they just feel in their heart that it is good. And, you know, I'm not saying that we never have experiences, but I would say, let the truth of God's word and the truth of his attributes, may that bring you to natural emotions, I guess, or an experience. We don't necessarily come to church and meet with the brothers and sisters to have an experience. And that's kind of what sets us apart from a lot of the NAR groups is that they're all about, you know, come and have an experience with us in worship. Come experience um, Bethel. You know, some people will say, come experience the Holy Spirit. And ah, well, you got to be careful there. You're not in authority of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, the Trinity. He is all powerful, and we're just mere man. So we have to be careful about that. Uh, but people will say that kind of thing about experiences. And yes, we all have experiences. Uh, and that, that term can mean a lot of things. We can have good experiences, bad experiences, emotional experiences, life-changing experiences. But whatever experience we have, no matter how we felt or, or what effect we think it had in our lives, we have to just come back to the Word and learn from it. Seek wisdom from an elder, a pastor, a brother, and then go compare what that person said to the Word. That's pretty pretty simple thing. Um, yes, if you listen to Bethel's music, like I don't I don't encourage you to do it unless you're doing it for like educational purposes. But I will say it has the effect of making you feel emotional, especially if, if you like forget about everything. Like if you're just sitting there and just not even pay attention, and you know you're just experiencing the music and those uh, kind of what would you call them? Those chords that they play, they're really like trancey kind of chords, um, chord progressions and, and all that. It has a way of making you feel a certain way. I think it's by design, honestly. Uh, but you can't trust that. You can't trust that. I mean, God's Word does not say to, to trust it and then also trust your own experiences too. I mean, it goes back to your, your heart is deceitful. No matter what you 
think, you know, you have to bounce that against God's word and let it be the authority over you because it is. So that's what I would say to that one. The next one comes in from Sarah. She says that the objection she receives is this, quote, it's what the worship team likes and it is what people want to hear, unquote. And she writes that she thinks it would be good to include the importance of congregational singing in this series. And I agree with that. If you're, you know, going to church and the music, you can't even sing it because you're not a a, a trained opera singer or something like that. Or, you know, you can't sing like five different octaves. Or, you know, that's that's tough for the entire congregation to get into, right, to, to be able to sing together. Um, passionately without worrying about hitting these un, you know, unsingable notes that only a few people in the entire city can hit. <laughs> so I completely agree with that. She said, it's not just about coming and hearing a, quote, good, unquote, song. I completely agree with that, too. She said, people can listen to CCM at home or attend concerts if they prefer CCM. Many of those songs are more for performance than congregational singing. Uh, amen to that. Sunday is when we all come together to worship and hear the preaching of the word and can sing hymns and praises together. I completely agree with that. that that's just that's right on point. That's when we come and, and sing the truth of God together and praise God. He is worthy. And you know what? And that's that's a great thing that we we have the privilege of doing. And it turns out that it is sort of an experience. Uh, it, that's kind of like a side effect of it. But that's not what we come to. You know, we're not here to worship the experience. We're, we're here to worship God, if that makes sense to you. You know, we're not coming to say, I, I cannot wait for my body to feel this certain way in worship, to get the goosebumps and all that. I can't wait for that. Instead, if we're focused on God and praising Him, everything works out. That's really that's really how it is. So great points there, Sarah. And you know, to to that objection where the person said that it's what the worship team likes and it, and is what people want to hear. Yeah, I mean, it, people I would say a lot of times don't even come right out and say that because that's just completely way out there like but that's really the actual truth of what's taking place like that's really what they're saying without saying it honestly is this is quote unquote working for us we're just going to keep doing it and you know it is what it is it's just music you know whatever and that just that leads down a really slippery trail so next one from Kobe and he writes Quote, I often hear something like this. A lot of the hymns we sing are by some questionable people, and we still sing them. I'm wondering if that is even true. Is there any hymns anyone is aware of that were written by an unsafe person or a person promoting heresy? Just curious, thanks. And to that, I would say, one always comes to my mind, and it's kind of a, a strange situation. So, I'll just start off by giving my broad overview on that. And a lot of this is is kind of paraphrased from what I heard from Justin Peters on this topic. One of the main points that he hit on was, you know, there are not active ministries of these people who wrote hymns 100 or 200 or many hundreds of years ago. So 
it's not anything like Bethel, who kind of uses their music to pull people in, whether they mean to or not, it happens. Um, it's not like that or Elevation or Hillsong, where literally the music is just, it's this kind of magnetic pull that pulls people into their ministry after they consume their music and love it so much. Uh, it's not really like that. Like when you hear a hymn, you you might go look for, you know, what other songs did that person write? But honestly, most people are not going to do that. It's just, it's a different kind of thing. You know, a lot of people who like the newest kind of music don't even like hymns anyways. Um, so there's that too. But that's one point that I think is pretty strong. Now, if someone says that they, they won't sing a hymn from someone who had, uh, who basically taught false teaching in their lifetime, especially prominently, I, I respect that. You know, I'm not saying that all hymns are perfect. They're not. They're they're definitely not. You may have songs that are in the hymnal, hymns that uh, are from people who, you know, had no business writing worship music or writing hymns. That's possible for sure. So I'm not here to say that if you open the, the hymnal and start singing that you're definitely singing truth or you're singing uh, music from a sound source. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I don't think we can equate the two. And one that comes up quite a bit, and uh, you know, a lot of people really love this song, and I, I can see why, um, but the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and I, I'm not here to ruin that song for you or nothing like that. That's not the goal here. But it's written by Horatio Spafford, um, and there's an article I would like to go through that I'm going to read for you for you all. Um, it's from someone, honestly, I'm not sure who this person is, but I read through the article, and I think that it reflects truth. So I'm going to go through it. It comes from Biola University. Uh, I know some, uh, you know, at least one person who has come from that university uh, who, you know, is doing really good work. So don't know anything negative there, but... The article is entitled, Was Horatio Spafford a False Teacher When He Wrote It Is Well With My Soul? And the author of this is Kenneth Birding, just giving credit there. Um, he writes, In 1873, Horatio Spafford penned the lyrics of one of the most loved hymns of all time, It Is Well With My Soul. But should we sing a song by one such as Spafford in light of the fact that he is known to have promoted beliefs contrary to Scripture? This question becomes an ideal case study in how people sometimes twist history to support their agendas. On the one hand, there are many who simply treat Spafford as a saint. After all, Spafford wrote the words to It Is Well With My Soul on a ship soon after he passed the location in the Atlantic Ocean where his four daughters and nearly his wife drowned in a shipwreck only weeks before. Spafford's hymn resounds with the doctrinal truths of forgiveness of sin at the cross and the reality of the second coming of Christ. If you do an internet search for Horatio Spafford, you will discover that a majority of sites read like hagiography. <laughs> I'll have to look, what, look up that word. This, this guy does not know what that means. But he writes, Spafford, these sometimes embellished accounts suggest, should be viewed as one who singularly trusted God in the midst of tragedy. But others cry foul. 
Spafford was a heretic since he denied the reality of eternal hell and taught universalism, the idea that everyone will go to heaven. Furthermore, because of the subsequent history of the hymn's lyricist, we should not even think about singing It Is Well With My Soul. Both approaches, however, lack historical sensitivity and paint Spafford with broad brushstrokes. Spafford gets portrayed either as a saint or as a heretic. What both approaches fail to attend to is that Spafford appears to have started to move in a theologically aberrant direction sometime after two major tragedies in his life, the loss of his fortune in the Great Chicago Fire of 1881, and particularly after the loss of his four daughters and almost of his wife at sea in 1883. What is the evidence that Spafford only started his move in a heterodox direction after the second tragedy? Four considerations make it likely that Spafford was a Bible-believing Christian up until the time of the shipwreck and the penning of his famous hymn, and then started to theologically waver after that. And he has four points here. So his first point, Spafford was an active supporter of the ministry of D.L. Moody, who affirmed Christian orthodoxy. Spafford's wife and daughters, in fact, were on their way to England to help with Moody's upcoming evangelistic campaigns when the shipwreck occurred, and Spafford intended to follow soon. Number two. Only three years prior to the shipwreck, Spafford spent time with John Nelson Darby in England and accepted some of Darby's millennial views. Now, it is true that some people dislike Darby's version of dispensational premillennialism. But Darby's overall doctrinal beliefs, and in particular the ones that later became problems with Spafford, comfortably fall within evangelical orthodoxy. 3. Spafford was an elder in good standing at his old school Presbyterian church until after the shipwreck. 4. There isn't a hint of unorthodox ideas in It Is Well With My Soul, despite it being full of of doctrinal affirmations. These four combined pieces of evidence suggest that Spafford was a regular Christian who affirmed biblical orthodoxy, at least up until he faced a succession of life-altering tragedies that started him on a trajectory toward false doctrine. Last paragraph of this article says, Why does this matter? It matters because when Spafford wrote Is Well With My Soul, as best as I can tell, he was not a false teacher. He was a Moody-supporting, Darby-esque Presbyterian Christian. Now, it is possible that after I post this article, someone will point out some piece of historical evidence that will demonstrate that my attempted historical reconstruction is incorrect. If you know of any such evidence, I welcome you to put me straight. And, if convinced by your evidence, I will gladly take down this post. But based upon what I've been able to ascertain so far, I think that Horatio Spafford was not a proponent of false doctrine when he wrote It Is Well With My Soul. So, I think there's some good points to be made there. Uh, I think that two Christians with two different conclusions on this could have two pretty good points of view, honestly. Um, to me, it's not the first song I would choose. Just just knowing kind of some of the 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 ways that Spafford went towards the end of his life, um, the point about him having two major tragedies in his life, you know, 
To me, did he lose his mind completely? I, I don't know. Maybe he did. I, I honestly don't know. I wasn't there. There's, there's not really a good way for me to know uh, unless you know something, and please let me know. So I could see that. There, there's at least that struggle there. And uh, so to answer the original question or the objection from Kobe is that I think there are hymns that are questionable, and they come from questionable sources. It's going to come down to conviction. Uh, and the impact of singing an old hymn, I will personally guarantee you that it will not have the kind of impact of pushing people towards Bethel Hillsong and Elevation. Active ministries that are actively misleading people uh, just by what they teach and what they put out. So I would not equate the two. This next one comes from Josh again. Uh, so Josh had two on this one. So how about that? Thank you, Josh, for your input. But he says, you could cover the action taken by some worship leaders. This is the objection, by the way. You could cover the action taken by some worship leaders to fix errant or heretical lyrics by changing them because they really love a certain song. Then he says, you know, to the objection, while this can work, it is technically illegal unless you receive express permission from the songwriter to do so. Also, even if you do change the lyrics of a Hill song or Bethel song, for example, this does not stop them from receiving royalties when, you, when you're using it. You are still supporting a heretical ministry and you're basically helping them spread their false message. Bethel and Hillsong received tens of millions of dollars in royalties each year from CCLI. These funds come directly from all the churches using their music who pay yearly licensing fees to CCLI. So I'll take you at your word there, Josh, on those numbers. They may very well be right on point. I would not doubt it. Uh, he, he continues, I propose that it would be better to find a good song from a solid source than to tinker with the lyrics on a popular song from a heretical source. And I completely agree. It's, it's just, it's not like, and I've said this so many times, it's not like, you know, we have this pool of songs and if you remove Bethel Hill song and Elevation that there's only like three songs left. It's just not like that. I, I don't know. So when people are just attached to Bethel's music or Hillsong or Elevation, like they just can't let it go, it, it really reveals that they, they haven't even looked to see what other music is out there, what sources are out there, what ministries are out there that we can actually have some, you know, put a little trust into, if you know what I mean. So that is, that's what I would say to that is basically what Josh said is like, yeah, some people will you know, sing a song that that is obviously wrong and they'll just change some of the lyrics. And to me, that's just like basically putting a Band-Aid on it. Um, I don't think it really helps anything. And we have so, so many options for sound worship music that why do it? You know, we have plenty of choices. So uh, that's about all I can say on that. And I just want to thank everybody for putting in their objections. Uh, as I've said on the last episode, it is getting really close to baby time. So who knows Who knows when the Lord will let our little girl come into this world. Uh, but I can't wait for that. And uh, I, with that said, I don't know exactly when the next episode will be. Uh, it may be one week after this one comes out. 
maybe a little bit of a break there, maybe no break. Maybe, you know, I'll get some episodes recorded up and able to, to keep posting these every week. So not sure, but uh, I definitely will still be active on social media during this time a little bit. And um, I'm actually working on, I'll go ahead and talk about this for a second. I had this idea and I'm not exactly sure what made me think about this, but I had this idea to put together an infographic. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's it's basically like a um, kind of like a flyer or a pamphlet almost, but it's like one continuous post or or image that's really narrow but very like kind of long. So like if we're speaking in width and height, it has a small width but a really long height. So that when you're viewing an infographic, and it's not true of all infographics, but typically if you're viewing an infographic, you're looking at the top and then just kind of working your way down to the bottom as it's making like kind of, uh, I'd almost say bold or overall kind of broad claims about something and then breaking it down a little bit in each section of the infographic. And the one I'm working on is called the Worship Song Cycle. And so I'm trying to put that together. Uh, by the time you're hearing this episode, it may have already been posted, but uh, if you haven't seen it, go and check it out and uh, share it. I'd really appreciate it if you do that. The, the kind of objective is to get people to really think about, you know, what impact using a song for worship, worship service that is in a church, what impact that really has. Um, how it's not just like, well, here's a song, and I like the lyrics and, you know, hadn't even really checked into the source or anything like that, but, you know, whatever. It's, it's really not like that. There are consequences to it. I may make an entire episode about this infographic. I'm not sure yet, but go and check it out. Um, share it. Once you see it, it's going to be called the Worship Song Cycle. So the Worship Song Cycle, check that out. And... That is about all I have for you all. I'm looking at the the timer here, and this is one of the longer episodes for, for Sound and Worship. So, um, really passionate. And that's just because of the great objections that you guys sent in. And if anyone else has any more, I'll do an entire other episode about objections that you've heard and how I would respond to them. Uh, take that for what it's worth. I would say another thing to keep in mind is to Try not to make a law where there is no law and to be gracious to people who have a different opinion. There's a difference in someone who is promoting an NAR worship song and source. There's a difference between that and someone promoting an artist who performed with a questionable group of artists at a concert one time. Like those two are not equal. So keep that in mind. Maybe be gracious and realize that at the end of the day, our analysis is going to have some kind of flaw in it. Um, But may we pursue biblical truth and sing songs that glorify God in spirit and truth. You guys have a great rest of your week or weekend whenever you're listening to this. Go worship the Lord in spirit and truth with the brothers and sisters of the body. See y'all.